Are you a Christian who finds yourself struggling with the same sin over and over again? Do you feel like your life doesn't seem to reflect the resurrection you know to be true? Have you tried dozens of books and techniques only to find yourself discouraged and ready to give up? Well, we've got good news for you. Questions like these inspired our journey into the rich biblical truths we call New Heart Theology. And we believe if you join us in this journey, we'll learn together, we'll wrestle together, and we'll strive together unto godliness. Welcome back to another episode of the New Heart Theology Podcast. I'm Kevin Lehman, and I'm a certified biblical counselor in Wilmington, North Carolina. I am alone today, Lord willing, for one more episode as my co-host Grant Forrester is putting a neat bow on some of his academic responsibilities. So today, I am tackling the second part of our third point, the complete regeneration and indwelling of the soul. We'll be primarily focusing on the spirit's indwelling of the soul in this episode. As I have previously mentioned, we decided to separate the indwelling from regeneration for one, because scripture separates them, and two, though they happen almost simultaneously, it is helpful to understand what these two events accomplish independently. If you have questions or want to hear more about regeneration, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the episode just before this one that covers point 3a. Now, I'm beginning to think that my catchphrase for this show is a quick clarification, or let me make a quick clarification, but I do feel like I need to make one quick clarification, and then we'll get going. In this episode, we are focused on the Spirit's indwelling work as it pertains to New Testament post-Pentecost believers. Yes, Old Testament saints received the Spirit at times, but it was not the same as what believers experience today. For them, it was temporary and event-based. For us, it is permanent. And speaking of the Old Testament, I know it probably seems like we're not giving it a whole lot of attention. I promise you that is coming. We currently have three episodes planned between episodes 10 and 20 that will deal solely with Old Testament concepts. Since these first few episodes are meant to be a concise overview of our theology, a starting point, if you will, we are focusing more on the New Testament because that's where the meat of the application for present day believers lies. But it's all supported by the Old Testament, and there's a great story there. We're getting to it, guaranteed. I thought to kick things off today, it might be helpful to look at key passages that deal with the indwelling or sealing of the Spirit. You could probably technically make the case that the indwelling and the sealing are even two separate actions, maybe deserving of their own separate episodes, but I'm going to address them as one. My primary reason for this is that they likely happen simultaneously, not just close together, but simultaneously. The very indwelling of the soul by the Holy Spirit also seals the soul from further corruption. The first passage I want to look at is actually a question, a very straightforward question that Paul asks in his first epistle to the Corinthians. He says in chapter 3, verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, I wish we had the time to explore the biblical theology of our bodies being a temple, and perhaps we can get to that at a later time. It is actually fascinating to trace the temple from the garden to the tabernacle to the temple to Jesus, and then finally to us. But for today, here's what we need to understand. The Spirit of God dwells in our person. This means a piece of God or a part of God, however you want to word it, lives within us. Just a few chapters later, in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking about how when a man and a woman come together, they become one flesh. 
And I'm keeping it clean because I don't want to take for granted the potential age of some of our secondhand audience members. But Paul says, in the same way a man and a woman become one, so does our spirit when it is joined to God's spirit. He writes, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So at the indwelling, there is a merging between our spirit and God's spirit. This isn't like our spirit is kind of moved to the side and the Holy Spirit squeezes in next to it wherever it can find space. No, no. Paul says the two become one. This is important because moving forward, we need to know that the Holy Spirit cannot be moved out of the way, dethroned, minimized, or shoved into a corner. Not any more than an egg can be removed or separated from cake batter. Immaterial space isn't really a thing, but it is helpful to our finite minds to think of it like this. He, the spirit, occupies the same immaterial space that our spirit occupies. Still not convinced? Let's not take Paul's word for it, though we could and should. Let's see what Peter says. In 2 Peter 2, 4, he writes, So that through his precious and very great promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. That word, partakers, literally means to become partners with or to take part in something with a companion. It is a shared experience. God has shared his divine nature with our nature so that our immaterial beings, as MacArthur put it, are fit for heaven. If you died today, nothing would have to change about your soul for you to enter into heaven. The work is complete. So I do not believe it is enough to simply say that the Holy Spirit lives in us, because that could imply that he can be minimized or even move out at some point. It is more accurate to say that at the indwelling, God became one with us. He shared his divine nature with us. But not only did he join with us, the scriptures also teach that he sealed us. 1 Corinthians 1.22 says, And it is God who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Well, a guarantee of what? A guarantee that our souls are fit for heaven, that we will arrive in heaven because we have been prepared to do so, that we will receive the promises of God because he has made us ready to receive them. Now, the sealing is also an interesting aspect of the indwelling. It comes up again in Ephesians 1.13. Paul says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The word used for seal or sealed in both passages literally means to provide a seal of protection to prevent further corruption. Now, here's an illustration. Those of you with school-aged children have probably encountered this idea when taking them to the dentist. They didn't do this when I was a child, but now dentists like to seal the molars of young children to protect them from decaying cavities. So what does the dentist do? Well, first, he cleans the teeth really, really well, as perfectly as man could clean them. And then he puts the seal over them so that the tooth will remain clean indefinitely. And if you want to chase the metaphor further, the sealant isn't just a cap over the tooth. Otherwise, it could pop off at some point. No, the sealant bonds to the enamel to become one with it so that it can never be undone. In the same way, the work that God did in cleaning our souls at regeneration, he wants to protect with the permanent sealing of the spirit. And he does that by giving us his Holy Spirit to bond with our souls. So our souls can never be corrupted again. No sin, no idolatry, no enslavement. After all, what good would it do to wash our souls clean only to have them immediately overwhelmed with sin and idolatry again? 
Thankfully, our Heavenly Father doesn't leave us in this position. Paul writes again in Ephesians, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Beloved, we have been sealed until the day of our glorification. We're ready to go. Nothing can undo what has happened, and not just happened, but happened completely. There's one last application of the Spirit indwelling us that I want to mention, and it's an important one. Because the Holy Spirit has joined with the believer's spirit, the desires of our immaterial person have changed. Paul says in Galatians 5, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. This is important. Paul is teaching here that the Christian has two origins for desire, the old flesh, which we know now is our material being, and the new spirit, our immaterial being. He is saying the spirit desires to please God, but the body serves self and will challenge many of our godly desires. One of the key mistakes I think the church has made in the past, as we have tried to work through the best practices for Christians in their battle against sin, is restraining desire to only one place of origin, typically referred to as the heart. But there's more to it than that, so we are limiting our understanding with that language. Now, if by heart they mean the entire inner workings of a person, which would include both the material brain and the immaterial intellect, they aren't exactly wrong, But we can be more specific than that because Paul has been more specific than that. If we were mechanics, why would we settle for engine makes the car go when we could know how all the inner parts of the engine work together to make the car go? But now, on the other hand, if by heart they mean soul, that the soul is the origin of sinful desire in the believer, then we have another problem entirely because the Bible clearly teaches the believer's soul is no longer sinful. My guess is that most people who use language like this don't actually know which one they believe. They're just using terminology they've been taught or heard from another source. It sounds nice, so they repeat it, but it's not biblical. So the believer's battle with sin boils down to a fight between two competing origins of desire, the body and the soul. We'll get to this finally in the next episode on point four. That's all we're going to talk about in that episode. I hate that I have to keep saying, we'll get to this, we'll get to this, but there's just so much to talk about, so many nuances, and so I have to keep reminding myself, Lord willing, there's always another episode we can take care of it then. But I think this has been good. We're laying a foundation with these first few episodes, and I hope I've done just that for the indwelling of the Spirit. The goal here is not to answer every single question, but rather to get the questions and the considerations going. I hope you'll continue on this journey with us because I believe we have a good one ahead. And not just a journey for the sake of intellectual stimulation. I genuinely believe that if you stick with us, you will understand so much better how to battle against the sin in your life, probably in refreshing ways that you never thought possible. And I think you'll start seeing that practically in the very next episode. I want to close with a Pauline prayer from Ephesians that, for me, took on much richer meaning after studying and exploring NHT, the very things we talked about today. Listen to this. Paul says in Ephesians 3, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length 
and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This truly is the New Heart Theology Prayer. With that, we'll conclude today's session of the show. I want to thank everyone for listening and remind you that we're pulling it all together in the next episode. We're finally going to see how all this foundation works itself out in our daily lives, in our daily battles with sin. As always, you can support the show in several different ways. Honest five-star reviews and subscriptions are nice, but what we really love is word of mouth. So if you enjoyed the show, please consider telling a friend about us. We are genuinely grateful for all the support. If you have questions or feedback, please feel free to DM me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Kevin Lehman on both. Thanks for listening and God bless.